Hi, everyone. I'm Jessica, and I am here today with Serena, who is the head of direct business at Funding Circle, specifically the U.S. business. Uh, and so she's going to be talking to us a little bit today about Funding Circle, where they've come from, where they are now, and give a bit of her thoughts on the fintech industry in general. So thank you so much, Serena, for joining us today. Thanks, Jessica. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm excited to support the Wharton fintech efforts. Great. Thank you. So why don't we start where, um, if you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to Funding Circle and, and a little bit about your role as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I um, was, a I guess the right place to start is probably back in college. I was a math and economics major, kind of definitely had a quantitative bend, but really interested in economics, in emerging economies, in the idea of developing economies and focused both my thesis and a lot of my work during my time in college in microfinance, which was sort of really hot at the time and um, a very studied topic in economics. And so I traveled mostly to Mexico studying MFIs, microfinance institutions, understanding how um, small business funding was done, especially abroad. Um, that kind of sparked an interest in, or it continued my interest in really how do you use financial services to help businesses evolve, especially small businesses and Main Street businesses. Um, after college, I actually tried to start a company in this space and failed. Went on to join Bain & Company in strategy and consulting, strategy consulting, realized I probably had a lot more skills to pick up. Um, went on to business school after that. And once I reached business school, this was around kind of 2013 to 2015, um, really realized that while I was at Bain, a bunch of companies had popped up in Silicon Valley that were doing similar things at scale using technology um, as what I was trying to do kind of back in the day in Mexico. So I found that really intriguing, decided you know, I, I unequivocally wanted to recruit at those types of companies found Funding Circle, which was a great match because they do small business lending specifically, but they have the platform model, which I find really scalable, and the entire thing is infused with technology, so it's different from the way banks do it, and was very attracted to that model and the mission, and ended up joining here. Um, per what you asked about roles, I've had a couple different roles. I've been at Funding Circle for a little over two years. And I have ranged from kind of the more strategic side to the operational side. I was the head of strategy in my previous role here and now moved to what we call head of direct business, which essentially Funding Circle has two different ways we acquire customers. One is through referrals from other businesses um, or brokers, which we call our partner business, and then um, our business that we call direct, which is where we do our own direct customer acquisition process them through our own internal funnel and, you know, kind of fund the loan. And that is the business that I am now the GM of um, and have done that role for, you know, coming up on a year now. Got it. Great. Um, yeah, that's really interesting to hear about kind of those two main uh, avenues of, of customer acquisition. Um, maybe later I'd be interested to hear about how you think kind of um, the customer journey differs between them. Obviously it differs, but uh, you know, how you treat those customers differently. But for now, um, just so people, we make sure that everyone has the right background, can you quickly explain um, funding circles like business model um, and how it might be different from some of the other peer-to-peer -peer lenders we've heard of? Absolutely. So the funding circle business model exists to solve the funding gap, which is essentially that there are so many small businesses in the U.S. that are seeking loans but can't get them. 
um, either because they're declined from banks, you know, they're either not big enough, not creditworthy enough, or because they um, would take a long time to get from a bank and they just can't afford to give that amount of time. And so we exist to solve the problem of filling that funding gap. Um, so we are essentially a small business lending platform that connects small businesses who want to borrow to investors who want to invest. And we are in the U.S., the U.K., and a couple of countries in continental Europe as well. Great. Yeah, and I think that's another big differentiator I see of Funding Circle is your international focus. Uh, and we'll definitely talk about that a little bit later. Um, yeah, oh, I realized, so, sorry to cut you off. I just realized I didn't answer your question about um, what is our specific value proposition. I think I can just speak to that really quickly is that we yeah. really, since we're a platform business, we don't really have any right to exist in and of ourselves unless we're providing significant value to the investor side mm -hmm. and borrower side. And I think what makes us different from other peer-to-peer -peer lenders out there in this is that we do one thing and we do it really well. We do small business term loans. Um, mm -hmm. So our focus on small businesses, as opposed to kind of other companies that have done consumer and small business, or maybe within small business run several different product lines, we our focus on the small business term loan has really allowed us to improve the access, speed, and service that we provide to our customers and just, again, provide an above and beyond value proposition for them. And ultimately, that's the only reason we can be kind of continue to sustain is if we do that. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. Um, I mean, just from my personal experience, it seems like the small business community, especially within very specific local uh, areas, is very tight and kind of shares a lot of information. Have you found that you see a lot of new business coming in through referrals? And even though it's an online platform, you still kind of experience the benefits of that tight community? Yes, I would say we do. And we're trying to leverage that even more. Um, right now, we, get, we do get referrals. And I agree with you. My parents run a small business, and it's kind of the same thing. They're always talking to their other fellow business owners about, hey, who do you go to for this, that, and the other service? So I do think it exists. I think we can do even more um, via technology to leverage kind of getting referrals to happen in a smoother way than they even do today and making sure that the original referrer is compensated, et cetera. So building systems around it, but it's happening mm -hmm. organically today, um, which is great, exciting. Great. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so then as, you know, the head of direct business, you are in charge of, like you said, the portion of the business that acquires those customers directly through your own advertising efforts. Can you, um, for those of us interested in marketing like myself, can you just walk us through kind of your typical customer journey and then the tactics you employ at each stage to really increase conversion, long-term CLV, uh, et cetera? Absolutely. And you're asking me the million dollar question that's kind of been yeah. really the bulk of my work over the past year. So it's a great question. I think mm -hmm. um, we, so in terms of customer journey on direct, we have to start, start at the very top of the funnel, as we call it. So it's mm -hmm. how do we bring these customers in? Um, we do use several different marketing channels ranging from mail to email, online search, social channels like Facebook and LinkedIn. We've got a mix of different channels we use. You'd be interested to maybe find it surprising that actually direct mail is, tends to be very, very effective and what's, I think, most Yeah, I believe that, actually. That yeah. Yeah. And well, what's most valuable about that channel is that there's so much data available with the targeting for direct mail customers that it mm -hmm. actually makes it the most efficient way. Um, in many ways, one of the more efficient ways to reach customers. So, you know, we but our customers first see us 
either through a referral, like you said, or through the fact that they've touched one of these points with us. And probably they've actually touched several things. So one thing we're really trying to get our head around now is probably people don't just get a piece of mail, open it, and come to Funding Circle, but they've actually seen a Facebook ad, and then maybe they saw us on LinkedIn, and then, then they opened the mail, and there was already that name recognition. So there's a whole journey before the customer even reaches us. Um, but once they do, we, pro we so the first thing they will encounter is our website and then our kind of four-page application, and we've worked hard to make skinny that down as much as we can, pull data from other places, and make sure the customer kind of needs to input the least amount that they need to for us to understand who they are as a business. Once they do that, um, they'll be trans they complete their online application, they'll be transferred over to one of our account managers who will reach out to them by phone. And this is one part of our process we really pride ourselves in, which is our customer service. Um, so you as the borrower would have one point of contact with us. You always know how to, who to reach out to. It's not just kind of a random person in a call center. This account manager will know all your details and understand your business. And of course, if you want to borrow again in the future, they're there to help you out. So um, the account manager will help you through, help the borrower through the process of collecting the documentation also that we require to make a credit decision. Uh, we do try to offer a decision in as little as 24 hours, and we're always looking for ways to make this even faster. Um, so for example, if you compare this to a bank, it could, that process could take months for you to even get a decision, and then they may come back saying, hey, no, we can't offer you a loan. We really try to get them mm -hmm. a decision quickly so that if it is a no, the borrower can then go somewhere else and look for financing. Um, they at least know that that's the outcome. And then after, you know, if we are able to make an offer on the loan, the account manager would again be the single point of contact to make that, communicate the offer and talk them through any questions that they've got. Um, and then you'd, if they do end up accepting our loan, they'd be funded directly after receiving and get the money in their bank account. So the whole process takes kind of anywhere from four to seven days to complete from the moment they kind of start their application with us to getting funding in the account. Wow, that's really fast. That's amazing. Um, um, yeah, I'm sure so I really your customers think really appreciate that time. I think so. The, exactly what you said. I think one thing we know about small businesses when we really think about who they are is for the people who run them. And again, I know this really personally. It's kind of a day in and day out job. It's something. Mm -hmm. At least my parents. They're kind of there's there is really no weekends and there are really no nights because you're always thinking about your small business and how you can grow it. And I think for them. If you're looking for financing, the difference between a few months and four to seven days is can mean life or death for the business as well. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. So this is one of our major value propositions. I think the second part of your question was about what do we do at each point to increase conversions. Um, again, that that really is what I focus on, and it ranges mm -hmm. from kind of at the very top in marketing. We're always A-B testing. We believe really strongly mm -hmm. in testing and understanding better kind of how can we build response models that target the right customers who want us. We're, again, we're serving that missing middle, so we want to find those customers to whom we're offering a really great service. Um, but then also even the creative and the messaging that we use, um, really continuing to test that. On the product side and the actual app, our goal is to build a world-class customer application, and we continue to refine that and say, hey, maybe this question doesn't work or it's not understandable, or we can actually get pull this data from a bureau, and so we don't actually need to get it up here, um, trying to really streamline the application. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to the whole account, the account manager experience, we focus on that a lot, which is what matters to the customer. So one thing we found is 
calling them as quickly as possible really helps. That if you're a borrower, again, this makes sense. If you're a borrower and you're filling out an application at 4 p.m., you've really, you're really using your time, and that's when it's most top of mind for you. So if you get a call from an account manager within five minutes of completing your app, you're ready to go. You want to submit the docs. If you get called three days later, by then you've already moved on to something else, right? So I think mm -hmm. just realizing that speed really matters, that you know what are the different ways we can reach out to them, whether it's email or call or something else. Um, and really trying to say, again, we're a data company at heart, so what's the fewest amount of documents we can collect to have the data we need for making a credit decision? Um, Got it. And then last, most importantly for us, our product is ultimately the outcome of our risk model. It's our product pricing. It's the pricing for our term loan, so this completely depends on our risk modeling. And kind mm -hmm. of every couple months, we, with the new data we have, we continue to revise the machine learning models and make them even more accurate. Um, than they were so that we're really giving the best price possible to borrowers. So you kind of spoke to this a little bit just uh, a few minutes ago, but kind of given the rising customer acquisition costs and the default rates in the U.S. fintech um, lending industry, um, what steps are you taking to try to guard funding circle against these risks? So, you know, you spoke to a little bit about how you're kind of improving the customer life cycle, um, but, you know, is there anything else that we haven't spoken about? Oh, that's 100% right. I mean, it's always in the fintech lending industry, it's all about the customer acquisition costs and the default rates. Mm -hmm. So on the cost side, all of the things I just mentioned increase efficiency, which is effectively is our conversion rates through the pipe, through our funnel, and that all makes the customer acquisition costs go down. The more right. okay. funded, funded loans we do for every dollar we spend on marketing, the more efficient we are. So I think that addresses the CAC element, and we're very focused on that. But on the other side, with the default rates, um, I just we more and more are pushing towards, and the way Funding Circle thinks about it is just doing a holistic approach to understanding the creditworthiness of every one of our borrowers. Small business lending, in particular, is harder here than consumer lending, where you have more data available. So in small mm -hmm. business, you really have to work hard to figure out where can we get the most accurate and reliable data from and then bring our credit models on top of that. And last, I think understanding that, you know, we as an industry probably need to take a bit of a measured approach to growth compared to other tech firms out there. We need to sure. really be careful mm -hmm. about default rates. You know, we're not selling iPhones where you want to sell as many as possible. We actually care who the buyer is. And so mm -hmm. that's where the risk modeling comes in and constantly improving that. Yeah, I think that's, that's exactly it. You know, everyone wants that hockey stick growth, but in certain industries, yeah. that might actually kill you. So on the uh, topic of expansion, I know Funding Circle, like I mentioned, is really aggressively expanding internationally, which makes it somewhat unique in the market. Um, how how do you evaluate a an international market when you're making the decision to enter? Uh, and then, you know, on top of that, do you really, do you think operations across multiple geographies affords you any specific advantages, you know, versus... Uh, just new revenue streams? Yeah, it's a good question. So you're right to say that one thing that makes Funding Circle unique is the idea of being international and of having several geographies, and that's something we really pride ourselves in. As far mm -hmm. as the advantages of doing that, there's kind of the more tactical advantages, but then also the more macroeconomic. So the tactical advantage is what I have seen myself working here is that geographies learn from each other. So our first mm -hmm. geography was the UK, and the US was started kind of three or four years later. 
And by then, we kind of had someone to look to for the best practices on basics of a lending company, even like creation of a risk model and the operational process we should use and how the team should work and org structures and those things. So we got to actually in the U.S. business, I think, leapfrog a lot of the early stages by being able to rely on the U.K. and the the methodology they used. And so that will be true of new geographies as well. But also on the macroeconomic basis, diversifying our portfolio performance just across several different economies will be helpful in the long run when you say kind of, okay, the U.K. went through Brexit. And we're not sure, maybe there's some uncertainty about what the economic outlook is going to be there. Well, we've got these other countries, because of course, small business performance is very tied to the economic performance. So it's helpful to have Mm -hmm. diversity across several geos. Um, Yeah, absolutely. For right now, so the decision then comes to, okay, well, we do want, we do really want to expand, but when is the right time? So this is kind of the classic B-school decision of really wanting to trade off focus versus uh, the idea of growth because you're not you're going to shoot yourself in the foot if we're just running around growing everywhere. So I think right now we're really focused on building successful businesses in the current geographies that we have. But you know, in the long run, as we definitely have aspirations to um, to keep on expanding, we would look at kind of the concentration of small businesses in each geography. It's interesting to see some of the European countries with just very high small business concentration per capita. Mm. Um, And then also what's the growth, like economic growth and small business growth. And then also you have to think about what's the availability of data in that country. So you've got countries like India and China that on the first two metrics would be really, really exciting. Um, But particularly India is difficult because there's just less availability of data about these small businesses. There's not necessarily a bureau like we have here collecting that data that we could easily plug into. Um, And then, of course, from an operational perspective, just thinking about what's easiest to kind of get folks who are willing to go over to that country and that kind of thing. So those are the factors we think about. Right. That makes a lot of sense. I know, you know, in some of my previous work, I um, worked a bit on international expansion. And sometimes it was interesting to see the kind of similarities and differences between countries you might not expect to you know, share common values. So, for instance, we actually saw a lot of similarities um, in kind of corporate practices between Japan and Germany, where there are still a lot of kind of family-owned businesses. It's very formal. Uh, I don't know. Have you seen any interesting kind of similarities between countries you might not have expected? I know you're mostly in uh, Europe and then here in the U.S., but uh, yeah. is there anything to note there? I think if I had to say, what I've found is that the credit market, small business credit market in these countries is more similar, all of these countries is more similar than it is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind yeah. of goes to your point is like, yes, there are cultural differences, but end of the day, when you isolate for small businesses, you've got the same types of kind of main street businesses that we are targeting, really worry about the same things. They care about the same things. Speed matters in all of our geography. Access matters in all of our geography. So I think we've been really pleasantly surprised how much, how translatable our value proposition actually is across geos. That's great. So kind of switching tacks here, it's kind of a commonly known issue within the fintech world that females are very underrepresented, uh, both within kind of middle management and especially amongst upper management and board members. I found a recent stat that only 8% of board members at FinTechs are female um, versus actually 22% even at, you know, banks, uh, the world's largest banks. So 
Why do you really think from your perspective, why do you think fintechs have such a hard time kind of closing that gender gap? It's a very interesting question. I actually, when you shared that stat with me, I was really surprised to hear that, to be honest. Um, I mean, that's globally. That that might be a little different in the U.S., but yeah. I think you're probably right. I mean, you're probably right, and it's really something we should work to remedy. I think whenever there is a gender parity issue, it either comes down to being a pipeline issue, which is like there's just not enough females applying and whatnot, or there's an issue with kind of people moving up the rank or not moving up the ranks at an equal level. In the case of fintech, I think they're probably both are at play. First of all, when we talk about the pipeline issue, we know that there are fewer females in finance, but as you say, banks still manage to get to 22. But then we also know there are fewer females in tech across the board. Right. So when you then, I mean, I, my hypothesis is when you combine the two, there might be either less interest or the fact that we have, you know, STEM education being different for women and men just compounds itself to say fintech mm-hmm. doesn't tend to attract um, quite as many women at the more senior levels. But then I do think we can't just blame it on that. There is absolutely a kind of climbing through the um, climbing through the ladder issue, frankly. And that's something we need to do much more reflection as an industry to fully understand. What I have been really proud of at Funding Circle specifically is that really at the global leadership team level, so not at the board level, but at the global leadership team level, we are actually almost at 50-50 in terms of the male and split, which is really exciting. And that's been a concerted effort um, on the behalf of our global CEO as well as our country managers. And then also at the teams level. So, you know, down to our most junior levels, we're at the 50-50 split. And I will say, this didn't happen from day one, and it's not something that has happened unconsciously and just kind of happened. I think it takes the companies need to make a concerted effort, make it a priority. We've got a really active women in fintech group that a funding circle helps spearhead in the Bay Area and a women in fintech club internally um, within the company. And all of these things help. They're all initiatives that go a long way in you know, signaling to females interested in fintech that we're a friendly place to work and, you know, we really prioritize the idea of continuing with your life, even if, you know, you're having kids or you're pregnant or whatnot and really making that work for women. That's important in any industry, but I found that doing that here has really helped. That's great. It's so nice to hear that Funding Circle is really making an effort in that area and clearly it's paying off. So, uh, you know, just shows other companies that, you know, really do make the effort you can do something about this problem. And I can only imagine that it it only helps your business. That's kind of the biggest argument for for being a proponent for gender equality in the in the workplace is that eventually, you know, down to your customers, potentially half of them will be women. So you want to make sure that you have equal representation so that you can really understand your customers and deliver a valuable product to them. So I, I guess on that note, you know, what advice would you give to a female hoping to enter the fintech space? A lot of Students here at Wharton and other business schools um, are really interested in fintech, but often they tend to be much earlier stage companies, and it can be intimidating, I think, to try to network your way through uh, through the different companies. So any specific advice? Yes. The advice I have is actually probably less specific to women, but as you say, just lots of people interested in fintech. I know in my business school class as well, it was the same way. So I've got thought of a few things that I think I wish I had known kind of two, three years ago. 
One mm-hmm. is, um, and I, I kind of ended up in a place where this is all true, but inadvertently, and now I'm like, okay, I got lucky, but I really wish I'd been thinking about these things. So the first is when you're looking at fintech companies in general, um, but maybe specifically fintech lending, really to confirm that you believe that the heart of the company is in the right place and you believe in their mission. Because I think with finance of any kind, and, and I can speak for lending, it's always, it can be a bit of a gray area. And I see this with other companies where I some you know, you're charging an interest rate to people that could be a little bit too high, or it could be that you kind of, you have to make a decision every day about how to treat your borrowers. Um, and you want sure. to, you don't want to ever be in a place where you doubt whether your company is making the right decision there. Because that, and that can happen when you want to, you know, have more profitability. And I think especially, in, again, in finance, that tends to happen. So really confirming that that's one of the things front and center for you is just the values of the company. I think that's something to watch for. And the second is, again, going back to this point of growth versus profitability, like our industry will always differ from other industries in that we need to have more measured growth as a business. So you want to make sure you're joining a place that's not going to grow like crazy and be out of business in six months. You want to join a place that's got the right head on its shoulder, is going to be around for a while, understands that, yes, we're doing tech, but we're also doing fin, and can, can, can really um, walk that balance. So those are two things I would look at specifically because you're in fintech. And then the third, which is maybe more general to anything, but one thing I've seen in the past years is find a good boss, manager, mentor, and follow that person. I know I guess this gets said a lot, but I've seen that happen a lot here at Funding Circle where we're a growth stage company. We've kind of doubled in size in the past few years. There's been a lot of opportunities all over the firm, but basically to be able to say, you know, there's someone who is looking out for you who if they go on to that next job, they're going to take you with them and they're looking to actively grow you, that is some irreplaceable really. And I've seen a lot of people's careers become successful because of that. So I would say that would kind of be the third thing I'd advise. Yeah, that's great to hear. I think it's especially relevant um, in considering growth stage or startup companies because that's something that's not as institutionalized. So it's a little more on the individual to make that, you know, that mentorship happen. Your question about females, I think all mine was pretty generic advice. That last bit about the mentor or the boss or the manager, it's possible that that would be more relevant to females even because, you know, if studies are correct, it's could be possible that females aren't necessarily as willing or ready to negotiate for themselves or put themselves out there in the work context, and then it becomes just even more important that someone um, is looking out for you. I, I don't know if that's sure. fully the case, but that might be more relevant for females. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can't hurt to talk about for sure. Yeah. Um, great. Well, that's kind of all I had to, for today. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, this was really great to hear about Funding Circle. and. Uh, you know, we'll be keeping an eye on you guys. Good luck in the future. Um, and, you know, keep us in mind when some Wharton grads start their own small businesses. Yes, of course. Of course. Um, thank you very much, Jessica. I really enjoyed this. And please let me know if I can help any further. Great. Thank you so much.